0: Hi, you're listening to Chip Chat, a podcast from Intel where we talk about technology. You'll hear from experts both inside the company, as well as those who work with Intel to create great things. I'm Marcus Yam, technology evangelist, and this is the first episode of the new Chip Chat. I had a conversation with Dan Ragland, principal engineer in Intel's performance tuning and overclocking architecture team. He's been at Intel for over 23 years, always on the PC hardware side of things, he's among the most knowledgeable people on the planet on overclocking. If you're new to overclocking, you'll definitely want to pay attention. And if you're an experienced overclocker, Dan shares a little on what to expect with 11th gen desktop CPUs, codenamed Rocket Lake. I have a very special guest joining me today for our relaunch episode. He's smart, he's personable, he walks the tech talk, and he's certainly the most knowledgeable person I know on overclocking. Dan Ragland. Thanks for coming on the new Chip Chat. Hey, Marcus. Great to be here with you today. Hey, Dan. So quickly, who are you? What do you do? Yeah, I I work on
1: Intel's overclocking team. There's um, about a half dozen of us or so that are working to develop overclocking features, uh, knobs for tuning, and uh, deliver that overclocking experience. And um, our little overclocking team actually works with engineers across Intel, whether they're CPU teams and in Israel or India or Malaysia, all around the world, we're working with them to integrate the overclocking capabilities.
0: Oh, wow, it's a, it's a pretty developed and big team. Okay, so, um, so obviously you're one of the experts in overclocking, big team, but let's back up. For, for those who don't know, what is overclocking? Sure, uh, at the high level,
1: overclocking is extracting more performance out of your processor or your platform. So what that means is, typically, you're trying to get the frequency of your processor to run a bit higher than it would normally out of the box. So for example, you would um, raise your CPU frequency by let's say 200 megahertz. You would adjust the voltage to go along with that. You would tune your power limits, a number of other parameters to essentially extract more processor frequency. Likewise, you could be overclocking memory and memory has uh, um, similar methodologies. But for example, you could buy extreme memory profile technology. This is overclocking memory plug it in your system and you're running at a higher memory frequency than you would have out of the box by spec
0: so this means when someone's shopping for you know like a a desktop cpu and they see a certain number of gigahertz and megahertz there's there's hidden potential in there there's more they can get out of that potentially yes um so when we provide a a
1: processor product we have a number of different SKUs, and let's say a, a SKU is like a model number so you know, 9,900K was a classic one. So that's one SKU, and you might have three or four others. Well, when we test in the factory these processors, we put them in different buckets according to their capability. But um, when you bucketize, say, a processor like that 9,900K of the past, it might have more capability than its buckets. There was no higher bucket. So what you can do as an overclocker is you can try it and push the frequency a bit higher and see what you get. Typically, you'll find that there's a good percentage of units that can operate at higher frequency than spec.
0: Okay. So it sounds a little bit kind of like, you know, hot rod in your car. Um, Is it safe?
1: Yeah. I I love your analogy of the hot rod. It's a lot like that. So some people may be a little bit more risk averse. Um, So what happens is when you're overclocking, you're running typically at higher temperatures and higher voltages. And temperature and voltage are the two parameters that affect the long-term life of a piece of silicon. And so um by running at that higher voltage, you can affect the life of your processor. Now smart overclockers um will carefully balance the amount of time they spend at an elevated voltage state, and then they'll also use extreme cooling or better cooling, like liquid cooling, to manage the temperatures, and that enables them to get um you know more more life out of that, out of that overclocked part.
0: Cool. Okay. Um it so this is this sounds like um something that is I guess relatively safe especially if, if done within uh the controlled parameters. Um why don't why don't um more, why don't processors come overclocked from the factory? Um though I, I will say that I've seen some, you know, on graphics cards they they say there's a, a factory uh overclock to them or um I think PC built PC builders also build in some overclocking there. Why why doesn't Intel provide that right from the factory?
1: Yeah, good question. Um so we, we want to be sure that the products that we sell um, are rock solid and stable out of the box. And if we overclock them, um, we open ourselves up to uh, the potential where you know, we wouldn't be able to maintain that you know, perfect brand uh, stability and, and quality. So oh, we prefer to allow overclockers to uh, utilize their own kind of decision making, uh, understand the risks, provide their own mitigations. So, yeah I don't think we're gonna find a factory overclocked processor coming out anytime soon
0: and and i guess when we're when we're you know, when there are so many uh numerous tons of uh shipments of of processors out there, I think that you know get, getting that uniform uh amount probably just comes down to uh what it says in the box um but on top of that uh, I've heard the term that overclockers they want to find the golden sample um or cherry pick that can you can you kind of explain a little bit the background of what is a golden sample
1: a lot of folks uh, think of a golden sample as that that unit that might represent the most uh headroom um, and um yeah people are always looking for that that golden sample and uh, there's all different thoughts about you know where that comes from is it this particular factory or is it this particular uh, date lot or that sort of thing um a lot of that there's some truth to it but in, in general. It's uh, not quite that simple. Um, it really does come down to, uh, you know, testing that unit or
0: units you have in front of you to see what kind of headroom they have. Yeah, when you talked about this, the specification of like which factory, which date um, kind of brings back one of my earliest memories on overclocking. And I'm by no means a super enthusiast overclocker, but it's re- overclocking is really what got me into uh, PC building. And I, I remember I was able to go into, uh, it was a small mom and pop PC shop back in the day when those existed. And I, I asked very nicely and they let me go in the back and look at the tray of processors to find the, and I was looking at forums and which one had the right date, the right serial number, the right code. And of course, it wasn't a golden sample. I couldn't test it myself, but I kind of gave myself the best uh, odds of it. And oh man, I was, uh, I'm, I'm sure overclocking has come a long way since then you mentioned liquid cooling. But I do remember taking, uh, the first process I ever overclocked was the uh, Intel Celeron 300A. I remember putting, um, some Teflon tape over some of the pins and putting in the motherboard. So it ran um, at a hundred megahertz front side bus instead of the 66 megahertz going from 300 megahertz to 450 megahertz. And that was um, probably still my favorite overclock to date.
1: Yeah. That 300 a Celeron was one of the most popular overclocking parts. It had incredible headroom back then. Uh, so people talk about it to this day, right? That's, that's, uh, that was a uh, sure, sure fun to kind of get that kind of
0: headroom out of that very, reasonably
1: priced parts
0: and so that's my history with overclocking but i'm sure there's a lot more to it um can you share a little bit about what what what's intel's history with overclocking sure um
1: uh, first i want to explain so sometimes people wonder you know why you know why is there a period in the history of pcs where overclocking was kind of less in vogue and uh, i wanted to share a little bit of that and that might inform kind of the past and then where, where we're heading long ago processors had uh, a ceramic top and they on that ceramic top they would mark the frequency of the processor and back then you configured the ratio or the frequency based on jumpers on the motherboard well what happened was there was a you know some what's called the you know basically deceptive remarking going on where they would uh, rub out that frequency of the processor and replace it with a higher frequency and then sell it so that caused the pc industry to say hey wait a minute Um, we've got to be really careful about this we don't want people selling a 33 megahertz processor as a 66 megahertz processor well around the pentium uh, two days to prevent that um the ratio became locked and so uh, that was around um 2000 ish 99 2000 and so from that point on overclocking kind of had to re-emerge and so um you saw that happen There's a group within intel that was very focused on the customers, these enthusiasts and overclockers that really wanted overclocking back. And so we, we came up with a, a means that was satisfactory to maintain safety and reliability of the processor. So you knew what frequency of a processor you were buying and that it was legitimate. And uh, we mitigated that and came out with what's called the extreme edition processor, and that reintroduced overclocking. And then from there, we, we had the K-SKU come out where it, it allowed overclocking, but at a broader range of price points and SKUs. So that was a little bit of the history of uh, overclocking. And from then on, you know, the K-SKU, we've just gone up, 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 and up in terms of more features, more overclocking capabilities.
0: Now, when you say K-SKU, you mean um, these processors that have the K at the end of them, like the uh, 9900K, 10900K, and um, I know soon we can talk about the 11900K. That's, that's what you mean by K, right?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, the, the K suffix indicates that it's overclockable.
0: Now, those um, are overclockable. So what makes the k SKUs actually more overclockable than the ones that don't have the K? Uh,
1: You'll find that the k SKUs tend to be at the top bin of their particular category or using the term bucket I used before. So when you're buying, for example, the 10900K today or soon 11900K, that's the top of the stack. And so units that are in that top bucket will tend to have more, uh, on
0: average, more overclocking capability than say something at the bottom of the stack. Like an i5. So, you know, going a little bit back, um, now we've got the K SKU with so many years of overclocking with Intel. What have been some of the innovations along the way that have been specific for overclocking?
1: Yeah. Oh, this is an exciting topic, and you, you're going to have to stop me here if I go on about this too much. <laughs> yeah. So, in order to achieve the the top frequency, we've learned that not only do we need to offer uh, the B clock control, the base clock frequency control the ratio control and voltage that we've had for many years but as for example new instructions came out like avx2 and soon to be avx512 that we've disclosed those instructions are more power hungry and require higher voltage yet many of the overclocking uh, software applications or games aren't necessarily using those instructions or at least they don't need to run them as as at a high frequency so we came out with a knob called the avx offset knob that allowed you to separate. Uh, your frequency when AVX is running. Essentially, bottom line of this is that allowed about 200 megahertz of additional overclocking headroom. So the AVX offset is one. Another feature we have is called um, per-core HT enable-disable. So you can actually turn on and off the hyper-threading for each core on your processor. And again, for certain workloads, like maybe you only need eight threads, so you could turn all HT off. Or maybe you need 12 threads, you can turn some of your HT threads off. By doing that, when you turn off HT, you can actually get higher frequencies on your remaining active cores. That, that's another fun feature. Um, there's many more examples I could go into, but I don't know how you're doing on time here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, th- this detail is great. Um, and I think that you know, uh, for the people who are definitely enthusiast overclockers, they love all these different knobs and controls on uh, and how to tweak and tune. Um, But that sounds a little intimidating for some people you know are there any tools out there to really help people just uh, i don't know click a button and have it overclock is it can it even be that simple
1: that's a great point you know uh, we don't want to intimidate folks with all these overclocking knobs so we actually have provided two different software applications to make overclocking more simple so the first one is called intel performance maximizer this is basically your one click overclocking solution so you install it you run it and it configures everything to maximize the performance of your uh, overclocking so that's great for somebody who's just getting into this doesn't want to have to know about all these knobs and all this kind of kind of geeky stuff that i'm talking about right now Um, that's that's for you but i think you'll find out just like uh, hot riding cars people who like to tune their cars you're going to like it and then you're going to want to move up to an application we have called the extreme tuning utility the extreme tuning utility is like a digital dashboard with all your overclocking knobs. Sometimes I call it the face of overclocking because as a user, you might not um, need to know all these details I was just talking about. You just look at your dashboard and say, all right, I'm going to move this frequency up. I'm going to change this voltage. I'm going to adjust this power limit. And then I want to monitor the temperatures. You know, How hot is that engine running at? Um, and so you can manage your cooling. You know, Basically all that kind of stuff you can control under the Intel extreme tuning utility. So that's more for the intermediate uh, overclocker.
0: So um, d- using these utilities, do they get, you know, like you said, stepping up from the one click to the controlling all the different knobs. Is that the same as when people had to control overclocking using dip switches and BIOS settings? Is that the same thing or is this something else?
1: Well, it, it covers all of that history. Back when, yeah, we had those jumpers you would move for your ratio, or a dip switch. Dip switch was the modern version of jumpers, and and uh, so on. That's uh, basically now all controlled uh, right there under the Intel Extreme Tuning Utility. Something I'll just make an estimate between eighty-five and ninety percent of overclocking knobs are all available um, right there in real time in Windows, right through the XTU interface.
0: Cool. Okay, so Intel's going to be releasing uh, the new Rocket Lake desktop processor. That's the 11th gen uh, core Intel processor. It's coming this quarter. Um, there's a new architecture featuring the Ice Lake core architecture and the Tiger Lake graphics architectures, and, um, and actually has a 19% IPC improvement. So I think this is going to be a pretty good one for gamers. Um, and on the same topic, there's got to be some new overclocking technology in there. Right, Dan?
1: That's right. There's a number of new overclocking features. Uh, some of them we're going to save for a surprise, but some of them I could actually talk about today. And the, the one I really wanted to highlight is we are going to make the, a very large expansion in the area of memory overclocking. And there's a couple things I'll point out. Number one, the average overclocked frequency from memory will increase over the past. So you'll see much higher frequencies. I'm not going to promise the frequency today, but let's just say it's better than 10900K. The 11900K will um, also um, have additional memory overclocking uh, capabilities. We're bringing something on called Gear 2, uh, which will allow for even greater memory overclocking capabilities. But the second major area I wanted to highlight around memory overclocking is we're going to expand and support memory overclocking on SKUs beyond K-SKU and beyond uh, just pairing with the ZPCH. So you'll see um, overclocking of memory available all the way down into some of the value price points which should be interesting to help introduce new overclockers who may be looking for a little bit more memory overclocking capability, a little more memory performance to help their games. And they will be able to experience that here on the
0: um, 11th gen product. Cool. So, so uh, walk back with me for a second. So there's frequency overclocking with the CPU. Um, what's the uh, overclocking on the memory? How, how's that different? And how does it interact with, I guess, the, the, the ratio overclocking on the, on the, Processor,
1: Yeah, so memory uh, overclocking is helpful when you're trying to feed the cores with data faster. So certain workloads, including uh, mini games, there's actually been a number of articles on this. Uh, the games can actually benefit by being fed that data faster. And so you could do that by raising your memory frequency above the, the supported frequency into the overclocking range. And that can actually improve performance
0: in certain workloads, including games. So sticking sticking with Rocket Lake, Rocket Lake has this new architecture and um in my mind, you know, I I'm, I'm thinking that we we've had years of uh refining that 14 nanometer process and having uh, essentially a very standardized architecture with the increasing number of cores. Basically my question is what what is the engineering role um of the, your overclocking team because I have to imagine that designing a new chip takes years. Um how is overclocking's role in that design of that chip from you know the design tool all the way into the customer receiving it in a box
1: yeah great question and this is where a lot of the fun happens so the overclocking team gets involved very early something like 5 years before the product reaches market the overclocking team will be working with the experts at intel's uh, development team so our processor architects And we'll provide some of the features that we're looking for to extract more performance out of the great architecture these brilliant engineers are already developing. Um, So our goal is to take something great and make it even greater. So an example of the kind of thing we might be doing in that time frame would be introducing new tuning knobs to to adapt to new architectures. For example, there might be a new feature that comes out, um, and we need to be able to make it overclock well. Uh, We also bring forward our what we call legacy overclock Features or those features of the past. And they actually have to be adapted to work with new architectures. It's not just an automatic thing. So we'll start working on that architecture phase. And then we'll get into kind of the pre execution phase where we'll start planning out hey, now what kind of motherboard are we going to need? What kind of power delivery do we need to do our overclocking? And then the fun really gets into high gear when the processor reaches the lab, those very early samples. And we start working with teams across Intel to validate the overclocking capabilities to understand. How does this behave under uh, liquid nitrogen? How does this uh, work at uh, various temperature and PowerPoints? Does this affect the cooling solution needs of the future? So we start working on that very early on. That kind of culminates with validating all the overclocking features, making sure they're all up and running. And then I guess the, the big one, the one we really enjoy is we'll hold like a workshop, an overclocking workshop with our key customers, especially the motherboard uh, customers. And we'll help them tune their board um, they have some advice to provide as well on things we could do differently. And so we'll, we'll basically tune and optimize that product and then get ready for our launch. It's
0: a long process. So it sounds like a lot of engineering goes behind it. Now, one thing I wanted to step back on and, and, and ask is, I've seen these really cool photos and videos of professional overclockers pouring liquid nitrogen, um, on, on a, on a processor. That's not everyone needs to use that, right? There's, there's regular person. I, I see the liquid nitrogen as the extreme sports of overclocking. Um, but, uh, w- you know, what is the minimal level of entry that someone needs to get to overclock a CPU?
1: Yeah, I mean, really, you, you've, if you purchase a, a motherboard that's designed for overclocking, a processor that's a K-SQ, um, you're really ready to overclock. Uh, what I would also do is pair that with a great cooling solution. So a liquid cooling solutions now you can get for, Hundred dollars or less, so it's super attainable. Um, you build a system with those ingredients, and uh, you're ready to start uh, doing your basic tuning. Whether you use our Intel Performance Maximizer or our Extreme Tuning Utility, you can get that overclocking up and running very fast. And you're right, the liquid nitrogen overclocking kind of gets a lot of the attention, and it's really a sport thing. So we we do enjoy that, but um, the majority of overclockers don't quite enter that space. They're usually using a off-the-shelf liquid cooler with our case
0: processor. So Dan, uh, clearly you're the well, you're an expert at Intel. Um, how did you get into computers, or, and, um, and how did you get into overclocking?
1: Yeah, oh boy, this is a fun question. Um, my first job in high school was working for what we used to call a mom and pop computer shop, a small store that built um, what we called clones back then, basically assembled the motherboard, the chassis, all the components. And you know, back then, as I kind of mentioned before, uh, you know everyone kind of had the opportunity or was it was enticed into overclocking because when you would build that motherboard you'd put the processor in and then you would look at your your manual and say all right I need to set these jumpers for 33 megahertz I know that sounds low or these jumpers for 66 megahertz you can't help but try 30, you know 66 megahertz when you had a 33 megahertz processor there right so I kind of grew up doing that right and hey what would happen if I did that and that got me interested in overclocking uh, so I I found that there was a pretty high success rate if I could cool it. And, you know, I would change the voltage a little bit on on those, um, you know, at that time, uh, we're talking about, you know, Pentium days, uh, I could get a little more performance. So that got me kind of into it and gave me a taste of overclocking.
0: So uh, how did that lead you to to doing overclocking at Intel?
1: Yeah, so at Intel, I started working on our high performance uh, motherboards. I started back in uh, 1998 working on the motherboard team. And I really got to meet some of our customers that were into that enthusiast, what we called boutique kind of experience where they would tune a system and provide it to, um, you know, essentially what we now call enthusiasts. Back then they were a lot of celebrities or they were NASCAR drivers or sports uh, celebrities. They wanted to have whatever was on the market. They wanted the best and then they wanted to make the best better. And I really got to learn from a few customers uh, what that was like and what they needed, and uh, that again gave me another flavor and it gave me excitement around the idea of overclocking and making our best even better. And uh, so we started, for the first time, supporting overclocking on Intel motherboards to cater to those customers. Uh, and then from there, every year we want to do something better, right? All right, we we now have an overclockable motherboard, but what if we made a better power delivery solution, or uh, what if we invent a new cooling solution? Or what if we make uh, liquid cooling more affordable for the common person? And just each year, um, we tried to up the game and find ways to make overclocking uh, either a better experience or more attainable. And it's really, really been that recipe over the years that we've used to evolve our overclocking capabilities.
0: Oh, that's that's great. I I didn't I didn't know that your your team actually extended its innovations to you know, making liquid cooling more affordable. That's that's pretty cool. And I've noticed that too, that liquid cooling used to be um, something unattainable. Right now you can just buy one right off the shelf.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and I should say, we work with engineers all over Intel. So the overclocking team, we, we get some of the, the, you know, prestige or attention around it. But the truth is there are engineers throughout Intel that are interested in overclocking and making our best better. So I get to work with like PhDs. These guys are teaching college courses on thermal mechanical and uh, partner with them and say, Hey, we have this need. what do you think about this? And of course they get excited. They love the challenge, right? How can I make a better cooling solution than the industry has? Or how can I make a pre-charged liquid cooling solution that uh, just makes it so you can buy it over the counter versus having to, you know, cut hoses and uh, pour water into radiators and do all this. Um, So yeah, it's just, it's been great to work with different people across Intel that have contributed to the success of overclocking over the years.
0: Wow, that sounds like a dream job for for an overclocker. Um, is is there is there room on your team to grow?
1: Yeah, we're we're looking for good people um, all the time. Um, you know, um, and it's awesome we're we're inside Intel so we've got our choice of some of the best engineers and then in you know, external hiring, we're we're growing around the world. Um, we're looking for engineers in Costa Rica right now. So yeah, if you're, if you're an overclocker with an engineering background, we'd love to talk to you.
0: No, oh, very cool. So, okay. So you eat, live, breathe overclocking at work. Do you, do you still overclock at home? What's, what's your personal setup?
1: I do. And I, I got to tell you my, uh, I really got a taste for overclocking when I was a gamer. Uh, uh, and I still game, but I was serious into the gaming in, in, uh, in my thirties and I was not good and I couldn't, Okay. There's skill, and then there's equipment. Skill, you got to work on. Equipment, you can solve. And so I learned about, uh, I just started off, I overclocked my processor, my memory, uh, and upgraded my graphics card. And I went from being at the bottom of the pack to a solid, you know, first quartile, you know, top 25%. uh, Just with that overclocking uh, and and better hardware applied. So lesson one, (laughs) then I go off and and learn to be a better gamer. Uh, You know, this will date me, but, I played the, the whole quake series, so quake three and four were my, my my big ones. I played more hours than I'll ever admit on that. so that got me into it. Now today, you know, um, having um, you know grown up, so to speak, and with, with a, a wife and child, I'll tell you one of my killer applications for uh, overclocking today is uh, my daughter, we've purchased her a number of DVDs, um, but you you know swapping DVDs on a car trip is not easy, so we wanted to put them on. um, tablet. And so what I found is um, that job of converting a DVD to a file that's on the tablet um, scales linearly with frequency. In other words, if I overclocked by 25%, I could get the job done 25% faster in converting those DVDs to uh, tablet format. And uh, so, you know, what, when I used to, (laughs) yeah, it used to take um, say an hour for four
0: discs. I can now do, um, you know, five or more in that same time frame. Well, that's (laughs) I I can't think of a better story than you said. You started to up your game to get more frames per second so you can see the other guy before he sees you. And now you're just transcoding DVDs faster thanks to overclocking. (laughs) Well, Dan, um, this has been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for talking to me about overclocking. I've learned a lot. Um, I'm actually really excited for all the new overclocking innovations we have ahead for Rocket Lake. So I can't, stay, uh, I can't wait for that. And I was going to say stay tuned for that. Um, but thank you for being our first guest on the new Chip Chat podcast. We have a good one. Let's talk again soon. Thank you for the opportunity. This was great. That was my conversation with Dan Ragland, Principal Engineer in Intel's Performance Tuning and Overclocking Architecture team. You heard today how approachable overclocking can be with the K line of processors, along with software like the Intel XTU Extreme Tuning Utility and the IPM, that's the Intel Performance Maximizer, that lets you overclock easily with just a few clicks. Dan also gave us news that the 11th gen Rocket Lake desktop platform will have expanded memory overclocking, along with other new overclocking features that will be shared at launch. This is the first of the new chip chat, and in the coming weeks, we'll hear from other experts. We're available on SoundCloud and other podcast platforms, as well as on the Intel Technology YouTube channel for a video version. Thanks for tuning in to ChipChat, and I'll see you in the next one.